What's up, everybody? Happy Thursday, February 21st. We are one, oh, man, we're less than a week away from the combine. I'm Will Brinson, and this is the Pick 6 Podcast. But wait, it's not. It's actually, it's the Brady Quinn Football Show. Hello, Brady. Hello, Will. Yes, we've, we've gotten rid of our old uh, intro, only because that was kind of getting tired and worn out. We'll think of something else. But, but for starters now, we're just trying to be a little bit more civilized, a little bit better educated. And, uh, yeah, we've got the combine in about a week, buddy. Uh, we'll talk about that later. Uh, but what's been going on in your life, huh? Anything going on up there? <laughs> um, yeah, and look, the I think what we should do is see if CBS can make us some special, like Brady Quinn football. Like it'd be like, like it could be like hokey, like 1970s game show, the Brady Quinn football show, or like something like that. But it doesn't feel right to do lasers in the middle of a in the middle of the week, or like air horns, regular air horns in the middle of the week. It almost felt you know it's like going into like Monday, and it's like oh, like the week is over, and you know I don't know, it just doesn't off season doesn't feel the same. Maybe when we do the live podcast from the combine, which we will do twelve to one Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, um, the Pick Six podcast will be live on CBS Sports HQ. Go to cbssports.com slash live to watch that and of course we will have we're doing shows from a show from 5 30 to 6 uh, to wrap up the combine every day and i know that i will of course be there brady will be a part of it pete prisco um john breach ryan wilson are going to be there they're all jason lock and fora gonna have a whole uh, a, a cavalcade if you will of people on hand for that um but before we talk more about the combine and get my funniest combine stories, maybe even Brady's funniest combine stories. Let's, um, let's talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers because they had quite an eventful day on Wednesday. Kevin Colbert, the GM, addressed the media and he had two, uh, two important things to cover. Number one, Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell will not be tagged, meaning the Steelers will allow him to become a free agent. Are you surprised, Brady, that ultimately the Steelers are like, F it, we're not going to transition tag him, he's going to make a stink about that, it'll be a whole thing, let's just move on and get on with our lives. Were you surprised by that? No, not really, because I think there's a chance now that the Steelers could get, what, a high third-round compensatory pick, right, out of this whole deal, depending on where he goes. So A, a very likely um, a, a likely chance, I think. I mean, I would anticipate that he gets a, he, he is productive enough and gets enough cash and free agency that the formula works out to right. a, a good pick. Well, yeah, which no one knows the formula, right? It's like this weird, obscure formula that no one can quite figure out. Uh, and we don't get the peek to the inside. I'm not really sure why that is. Like, I'm not, why, why is this, you know, this proprietary formula that we're not privy to? At least to the best of my knowledge, I've never seen anyone be able to come up with what exactly it is. Uh, you know what, how it exactly works out? Well, no. I mean, we just had, you just kind of have to guess basically based on the, <laughs> I mean, you do, like, you just sort of have to make a, I know Lance Zierlein, who, who, a friend of the program that, that works at NFL.com, has done so not, not to be confused with Greg Zerloin, right? Right, 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 right. Greg is his older, leggier cousin, uh, not from Houston. Yes. Um, Lance, but Lance does great, <laughs> Lance does great draft work, but he, um, he's made some educated guesses and I almost, I have to presume that Lance, by virtue of where he works, has had some access to that formula. Who knows? Uh, Joel Corey for CBSSports.com is very good at projecting that sort of stuff. But yeah, there's no, nobody knows what the formula is. It's hidden and that's primarily because um, it is a it, they use, they like to give the Patriots more picks than everybody else, and it, the system is rigged. <laughs> exactly, that's what everyone would like you to believe. But uh, back to the Steelers, back to Le'Veon Bell. So 
Uh, I think the thought there is that they'll probably, with where he'll sign um, and all that, he'll probably they'll probably get a nice compensatory pick out of this, which would be about the same as what they'd get if they transition tagged him, right? Because, I mean, everyone would be sitting there looking at this team, knowing that they don't want to keep him, knowing that the only reason they're tagging him is because they want to get something in return. So, you know, it, it's basically led them to allow him to become a free agent uh, and, and then in exchange get a pick, compensatory pick. So it leads me to this. Uh, and I and I had a conversation. Should I say who it was with earlier today or no? Sure, if you okay, want. So we brought on Michael Michael Lombardi, who is with the Athletic now. He was formerly with uh, with the New England Patriots, where he probably had the most success in his career. Uh, Belichick disciple and all that. Uh, Cleveland Browns, not when I was there, but with, with during another regime, um, and actually twice. But anyway, we we got into this conversation about just whether or not. Uh, a player would potentially do what Le'Veon Bell did again. Now he obviously comes from the players, or excuse me, the team's perspective. So he had a hard time really understanding how Le'Veon Bell could leave fifteen million dollars on the table. And I kept trying to portray to him, well, well this is why, Mike. Um, <laughs> he didn't get any more additional hits and chance of injury and all that by playing, even though it would have been for fifteen million, a one-year guaranteed contract of a lot of money. Uh, he, he didn't have to deal with any of that, considering how much wear and tear he faced the two prior years. And he'll now be able to get to free agency, where he only needs to get two teams to really create a market for him and bid up for his services, where he's not going to ever be able to recruit the $15 million that he could have made in 2018. However, if he gets, I don't know, $30, $40 million in total guarantees, plus X amount of a contract from a deal that surpasses Todd Gurley or anyone else in the running back market, I think we'd all agree he accomplished his goal. And so then the question uh, I tried to portray to Mike was, do you think this would potentially happen again? He found it really, really hard to believe that another player would be able to do this. Uh, and I was kind of shocked by that. And, and again, he more came from the New England perspective of, you know, well, you know, that's not the type of player that they would want to sign anyway. And I think uh, it was just hard for him to think that they would leave $15 million on the table uh, and not play because players can take what's called insurance policies out. Right. So Le'Veon Bell could have paid in 2018. He could have made the 15 million, and then he could have taken out an insurance policy. I don't know for like let's say it's for 100 million dollars if he can never play football again, right? Right. And 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 that's true. You can do that. Like you can find Lloyd the London, some of these other um, underwriters that will say, okay, we're betting Le'Veon Bell doesn't have an injury that doesn't allow him to never play the game of football again, and that he will be playing football in 2019. Uh, and so yes, we'll gladly take your premium for, I don't know, millions of dollars in that case, right? If, if, if Let's say you bought a $100 million policy, so millions of dollars in order to protect your downside risk in this case, right? We're getting a little financial here, but hopefully you can hang on. The, the problem <laughs> with this is, in theory, for Mike, it sounds like a great idea, right? Because you're pre- protecting your downside risk, you're making your $15 million, and, and basically your, your, your $15 million pays for um, your insurance, right? And so it takes care of that policy. The problem is this. If he was to get injured, right, and he was to try to go then get paid on that $100 million contract, it becomes really, really hard to actually recoup that money. In fact, it's only been done a number of times for permanent disability uh, in, in insurance deals as well as um, partial disability deals, right, or, or what they call loss in value. Those are actually really hard to hit home on. Like a guy who I think first made money on this sort of contract was a kid named Ifo Ekpre Olamu. Yeah, who pulled from Oregon. Out before – yeah, he was a he was a cornerback out of Oregon, and he actually got drafted in the seventh round. He was projected to be a first round pick the year before, but tore his ACL. He picked up a policy, 
and I think he ended up actually cashing in on it, but he was one of the first and only players to really able to do it. So again, good thought in theory from Mike, but not in actual reality, the, the world that we live in. So uh, again, if Le'Veon Bell cashes in, now that he's going to become a free agent, you could make the case that Demarcus Lawrence could potentially say to the Dallas Cowboys, if he doesn't get what he wants, um, if he is indeed franchise tag, which they have to what March 5th in order to put the tag on him. Correct. Um, if they can, and then if they can't work out a long-term deal, which that deadline is July 15th. So, um, you know, is there a chance other players would fall suit? Yeah, of course, because if Le'Veon Bell cashes in on it, they're going to look at it and say, well, heck, why would I want to put myself through the risk of injury and the additional bumps and bruises? I can be fresh. I can capitalize once I get into free agency and make a bigger money deal then. So we'll see if, if other players follow suit. It is fascinating, though, that ultimately Le'Veon Bell and his agent or his representation, what was it, Adisa Bakari, I think is his name, Yep, fell upon this whole – uh, idea that they could just sit out under the second year of the franchise tag, not sign the tender, and and find their way into free agency uh, because they put the Steelers in a position where basically they could transition tag them or franchise tag them, but it'd be too much in that case, uh, and, and they would eventually just kind of let them go into free agency in exchange for what will be a compensatory pick. It's it's crazy because in the middle of the season, in the middle of their holdout, they were thinking about ending the holdout and coming back and Le'Veon Bell reporting to the Steelers and playing half of the year. And they fell upon this, like you said, they, they stumbled on this loophole in the CBA that allowed them to not show up at all. And they're like, oh, crap. We won't even lose a season. Just skip the whole year. Don't show up and blow out your hammy or blow out your ACL or whatever. Skip the whole year, and you do lose $15 million, and that's a lot. But Le'Veon Bell has made a lot of money and now stands a chance for a huge financial windfall. And I do think that Le'Veon Bell, more so than even Demarcus Lawrence, like if he had come back and played four games in 2018 and tore his ACL, he would be looking at a contract this offseason that would basically give him – I don't know, 14 or $15 million guaranteed. Like the risk reward for a running back who's 27 years old and has dealt with injuries like a torn ACL previously and, and has faced suspensions is not worth injuring yourself over whatever portion of 14 million you were going to get from the Steelers in 2018 because you probably weren't going to recoup that if you did suffer an injury. Now I think Brady, because he can go back out there and he can go and, and hit the market and, and talk to the Jets and the Raiders and the 49ers, I think, three teams that will be interested in him, um, he's going to make life-changing money. Now, is he going to get that exact 14 or $15 million that he lost out on last year? I don't know. I mean, maybe he won't make it back, but he's going to make a crap ton of money uh, on an open market as a game-changing playmaker who is a great pass catcher, who has shown that he can you know, be a bell cow. He, you know, he doesn't have a, an extra year of wear and tear on his legs. And I do think that this paves the way over – the, you know, 2019, 2020, and maybe 2021 season for these players to sit out a season and, and not play on the franchise tag. I don't think they do it in the last year because they, they're going to want to, you know, like we talked about previously, they're going to want to pile up that cash. So you might, you might play it in, in that regard, but, but heck, maybe that's the lockout year. Um, and, and so I, I think from that perspective, yeah, this is it. This is Le'Veon Bell set out he did what he set out to do he said he wanted to change right. the paradigm for how players were treated and how running backs were paid and if he gets a contract he achieved those goals even if in the the minds of people who follow the league he didn't make that 15 million dollars that he was supposed to want right and, and here's the connection to how this relates to antonio brown because the one thing these two players have in common is they both 
had deals uh, with the Rooney family, at least in the sense of Antonio Brown. He signed an extension uh, with a total guarantee of $19 million of signing, which was a signing bonus. And Le'Veon Bell was in these contract negotiations with the Rooney family where what did he want? He wanted more financial security. What do we know about the Rooney family? They don't put up a bunch of total guarantees at signing. They don't believe in that. That's not how they do business. And they weren't going to break for Bell. They weren't going to break for Brown uh, and, and break that precedent because then they'd have to do it for every player that, that would come along who would be in, similar, in, a, in a similar position. So uh, what we've found now is you know, both Bell, who's sitting there saying, like, yeah, they could have paid me $50 million for that one year, uh, but it would have been a, a situation where I would have had a ton of wear and tear. They would have probably let me touch the bottom, I don't know, 400 plus times, right? And and I would have been going into being 27 years old with all this wear and tear, trying to hit free agency or, you know, try to maybe, you know, deal with some injuries and all that and going back into the market. And and are, are teams concerned about my age being a year older? Yeah. But are they more concerned about how many touches you had the year before, how much wear and tear? Yes, that outweighs the other. So the fact that he's able to get two free agency now fresh where he can go to an organization that's going to be more open to giving him more guaranteed money at signing where he gets more security, that's the key here because that's what he's going to be able to, to hit on. Like, Do I think he'll be able to make $15 million in total guarantees in this next contract? There's no doubt in my mind. Yes. I, think, I, guarantee, I guarantee you'll get north of 20 in guarantees. I think that number's probably sitting somewhere around 30, maybe north of that. Uh, and a total value contract of somewhere in the $50, $60 million range. And, and look, bottom line is, the Pittsburgh Steelers weren't willing to pony up that. That's fine. Another team will. He's, got, he's good enough. He's versatile enough. Someone's going to pay him that money. Uh, whether Michael Lombardi or anyone else agrees in that regard to the strategy of how he went about doing it, I think it was exactly what a player uh, needed to do in order to change the way uh, people look at the franchise tag and how players now uh, who get tagged can deal with it moving forward. So, he, he, as you noted, he changed the paradigm of it. And, and now I think that transitions into the news about Antonio Brown and the fact that, look, the, the Steelers and, the, and, and Antonio Brown are going to be parting ways, but not really because they have to do so in the form of the Steelers trading Brown because he's under contract for another three years. And what does he want? He ultimately wants a contract with more guarantees in it because he's already eaten that up through the first couple of years of this deal, right? And so that's part of the problem with trading Antonio Brown because the Steelers have their prerogative. They're going to trade him for the best deal they could possibly get. But Antonio Brown's unhappy. He's voiced a lot of his displeasure and aired a lot of the grievances publicly. And so it's probably knocked down his trade value. And he's already stated that he wants more guaranteed money from whatever team trades for him. And the problem for Antonio Brown and Drew Rosenhaus is the team has blocked him from being able to uh, legally, if you will, negotiate with whoever that, that suitor is. So if someone does trade for Antonio Brown, buyer beware, there's a chance that you could be bringing him on and he could hold out if you're not going to restructure his contract to put in more guarantees so he has more uh, financial security. Do you see it any different, Will? No, no. I would be. I was going to ask you: Would you trade for Antonio Brown if you were a GM of a team? Because I mean, look, he's still one of the five best receivers in the league. I think. Um, I, I don't know that he is. I think he's heading out of that range. Like I, I you know, he is. He peaked at the at, at number one as the best receiver in football for several years. And I think he is currently um, trending in the opposite direction because of his age and just because of, you know, that's how father time works. But I, I mean, I wouldn't want to give up a first round pick for Antonio Brown, knowing not only Brady, that he, um, you know, from a football perspective is trending the wrong way, but also from like a, 
I'm watching this off the field and you're like, dude, what's with the blonde mustache and the speeding tickets and showing up to the public thing in, in looking at the Super Bowl, looking insane. And then tw- why are you tweeting through it? At some point, someone, like someone should have called him and been like, Hey, stop posting on social media. And apparently by all accounts, that finally happened when he sat down with Art Rooney, who basically told him, he's like, look, AB, um, we agree that there should be a parting of the ways. You got to act like a grown up here or else we're not going to be able to trade you because all these other teams think you're a crazy pants who's going to come over and be the same kind of problem child that you've been for us for the last few weeks. And, and I don't blame those teams. I would be worried more about his off field stuff than his on field stuff if I was trading for Antonio Brown. What's the uh, movie with the redheaded kid who was like just a disaster? I think it was, might have been called Problem Child. Yeah, problem, problem, problem Child. There's even, problem a, child. I mean, there's even a Problem like, Child too. That's what I pictured when you said like the whole when you were setting up this whole scenario. I just kept picturing I can't even think of the actor's name or any actor for that matter in that movie. I just keep picturing his face with the red hair and him being extremely mischievous and just obviously you know throwing everyone's life to hell because of how <laughs> that, that that's what I just pictured. I pictured Mr. Rooney as the father in this case, right, and then Antonio Brown as the problem child with with red hair. So instead of dyeing his mustache blonde. He dyed his hair red, had a, had a little bit of, you know, added some freckles in there and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but no, in, in all seriousness, I, I think someone's going to trade for him because of this. He's too talented. He's too talented. And you get him under contract, right? So if, if he's upset about uh, the money that he's making, I mean, one, he agreed to the deal. So, you know, if you really want to force his hand, the difference between him and, and, and Le'Veon Bell and Le'Veon Bell missing times is he never signed his tender, so he wasn't under contract. He didn't get fined. Mm. If, Le'Ve- if, if Antonio Brown gets traded to the 49ers, for example, and doesn't want to show up, he's getting fined. He's losing money. Like, not only is he not earning money, he's losing money. So th- that, that's going to be part of the issue um, with, as, as far as how he handles this moving forward. So if you're a team trading for him, I think you've always got that in your back pocket. Um, you've got the fact that you know, you're the team that had convinced them, like, hey, look, we traded for you. We gave something up to get you. We're the team that saved you from Pittsburgh that you so badly wouldn't leave from. So in, in an act of good faith, do the right things, go through the right motions. We've got cap space. We'll restructure this thing for you in due time. We just need to see something from you. So I think they can make that work. And he is extremely talented. I don't care if it's two years, three years left that he's got in this window where he can play at a really, really high level he's still going to be a top 10 wide receiver in the next, you know, three years. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and, so. and he's going to be a number one wide receiver. So because of that, I, I think someone's going to trade for him. Someone's going to want to bring on services and, and a team like, for example, the 49ers makes some sense because Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, they've been there for a couple of years. Things haven't worked out. They need to bring in some playmakers and really upgrade that roster and give Jimmy Garoppolo some help. And, and they need to start winning some football games. And you've got to have difference makers in order to do that. So uh, again, going back to the conversation I had with Michael Lombardi, you know, he said he would do it, right? Because he said he was, a, you know, part of the New England Patriots organization. And they, they would never bring in a guy like that, which is kind of weird because he wasn't there when they were, you know, when, it, when they brought in Randy Moss, who you could have made the case had similar concerns, right? Effort concerns, which some people have made that case about Antonio Brown, at least in regards to showing up for games, and all that stuff. Um, you know, some of the off the field stuff, social media wasn't as prevalent then. So, it's not like people have a record of, of Randy Moss as much of the things he said to the media then as you can of Antonio Brown now. Uh, but there are concerns about Randy Moss. And then he went into the New England Patriots, played great when he was there. He was a good company man. Wasn't an issue. So 
Uh, I'm not necessarily sure that even the New England Patriots wouldn't necessarily be, um, you know, saying, hey, we can't bring in a guy like this and, ma- and make him fall in line. It seems like most players who do have an issue go there, they fall in line, they perform, or they're out. And, and the New England Patriots just decide to release him. So I'm not sure that would happen in this case, but it, it's not completely unthinkable. So if someone's going to pick him up, he's too talented not to. His contract uh, does have a pretty high cap hit. It's like 22.165, which I believe is the highest for his position. Uh, even though some of that compensation has already been paid, and it's, I think some of the signing bonus and all is being prorated over uh, the, the course of this contract. But in, in, in any sense, uh, someone's going to pick him up. He's going to be playing somewhere next year. It would just come down to what is given up in exchange for him, and then do they decide to restructure his contract before the 2019 season? All right, I got a question for you. What is the more realistic, crazy scenario that was, that I unleashed in my mock draft on Wednesday? One, that Antonio Brown goes to the Green Bay Packers for their second first-round pick, or two, that Kyler Murray goes to the Arizona Cardinals number one overall and they deal Josh Rosen to the Dolphins or Redskins? I think Kyler Murray going to the Arizona Cardinals is more likely Whoa. and Josh Rosen getting dealt than Antonio Brown going to Green Bay for a second-round pick. I just – Brian Gutenkunst, I know he wants to be more active in free agency and making these sorts of trades to help uh, you know, satisfy things around Aaron Rodgers. I just I look at the the pieces that the team has. They they took three guys in the draft last year at the wide receiver position. Maybe they want to sign someone free agency that would be a more economical deal. Golden Tate, for example, who believe me, people there in uh, Green Bay are very familiar with. There might have been a hail mary that was <laughs> uh, caught or not there uh, in Lambeau that was contested. So he's out there, and and he'd be a guy that could potentially bring in and sign to go along with uh, what Devontae Adams, I believe, Randall Cobb still under contract. So. I uh, draw a miles, and there's some other players as well besides the three draft picks that took last year. Marquez so, Valdez, uh, Scantling, and Equinomius St. Brown. If you were unfamiliar yeah, they, with their pronunciations, what what Green Bay strategy <laughs> was last year in the draft was how many wide receivers have three names uh, in their name, or or which ones are the, the hardest to pronounce? We're going to draft those guys. Are they tall? Are they fast? And do they have really hard names to pronounce? If yes, check off that box. Uh, because Brian Gutenkunst, their general manager, also has a hard name to pronounce. So he's not afraid <laughs> of drafting those guys or signing those guys because he wants people to be so afraid of talking about the Packers because they can't pronounce anyone's damn name. You, you know what? I am legitimately petrified to say Brian Gutekunst's last name on air because not that it is close to something, but it feels like it's close to something. Do you know what I'm saying? Like you feel like – if you, I don't. I do not have any clue what you're talking about. Right you're now. a liar. If you, um, hey, can I, can I ask you this? Yeah. What is a more great? What's what's a greater likelihood? Okay. Kyler Murray getting drafted number one overall in the Cardinals trading Josh Rosen. Antonio Brown going to the Green Bay Packers, right, mm-hmm. and in exchange for a second round pick, or or a player running the forty yard dash and having a Chris Jones moment. Ooh. In the 40-yard dash. Well, I mean, the basic probability say that it is more likely that someone's nuts fall out of their pants during the 40-yard dash. <laughs> Just because was you're, it, you're – Was it their nuts? It, it was like their nuts in a bowling pin. I think it was the other thing that <laughs> fell out. <laughs> <laughs> it was at some point. Strike three. Uh, <laughs> all over the place. It's weird that, like, someone would carry that around running the 40-yard dash in the combine. <laughs> 
Maybe, maybe, maybe it was a magnet to... flashlight or something or a bottle of hairspray. I'm not sure why, but. I'm about to snort. Uh, the, I mean, I, and what does it say about your, uh, not just well, your passion. I, I, for, what does it say I, about your passion for the game if you're Chris Jones and your, uh, confidence in your physical self that you just keep on running? Cause I know that like you, you know, like. Well, no, 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 no. <laughs> that is not what happened. What happened was, is once he realized he was having a wardrobe malfunction. Oh, he fell. He started to he, fall. He fell. That's yeah, right. That's right. That's right. Because that's, right. that's all you can do. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's not like he can put his hand over it and keep and running. Can, right. his, his, his pants are coming off. Yeah. Not like so he can put his. I think they need to do, they need for the linemen and the defensive linemen, they need to go to a unitard. They need to be in one <laughs> single bodysuit to keep it all in there. Now it might be, you know, jumping around a little bit, but that's the only way we can keep a Chris Jones scenario from not happening again. Oh my God. I mean, it, that's one of the top, that's one of the top five all time combine moments, right? Dude, he had a phenomenal year this year. Like he's probably the second, or he is the second best interior pass rusher next to Aaron Donald. Right. Yeah. And the only thing I kept thinking of is Chris Jones. Oh yeah, that guy uh, had a wardrobe malfunction running the forty-yard dash. Like I'll never forget that because I, I like I just it's it's something that it's very, it's like probably in the back of your mind you never think it's going to happen to you, but it happened to him, and it was awesome the way he handled it. Like he was the, the, getting up after he fell and talking to the trainer because the trainer ran over to make sure he's all right, <laughs> and he just made he, he made sure they knew uh, that his, his 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 other leg fell out of his Did- pants. I, I feel, I feel like that's a situation where you should get a third 40 yard dash if you want it. Like that, that one, that one shouldn't count against you. Like that one, oh, that one should. Why? Cause he, he, was, he was running with three legs. Yeah. No, no, I'm saying, I'm saying he did, he did, uh, he did NFL network and ESPN like a, a major league FCC bonus by, by taking the sniper hit and dropping to the ground. Like instead of, instead of giving them another like six seconds of wang, just flopping everywhere. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a very nice thing that he did. <laughs> Uh, I mean, would you say is that a competitive advantage though? Running with three legs, I, yes. I'm just saying. I think it helps. Well, I mean, Adam probably have a faster forty. I mean, the third one is it? It's probably dragging more than it is propelling. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, let's uh, let's take on that note. Let's take a quick break and come back, and we'll preview some of the combine action and talk more of our uh, more of our favorite uh, combine stories. <laughs> The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot 
Carter Finley. Shout out, Carter Finley. Or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip. Maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers. I used to go as a kid. I wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe. The Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. All right. That's, uh, man, Chris Jones. Is that is that your favorite? <laughs> <laughs> he probably took a, a really long break. He's my favorite. So that's like, so I guess we could tell some combine stories, right? Because that's coming up in a week. Yes. And that, like, I don't know if that's considered a story, but it's definitely one of my favorite things that's, like, ever taken place at the combine just because – I, I thought that would really warrant like a movement for, all right, let's like think about the apparel we're wearing to these and maybe we should go about putting these guys in something else, or maybe we should just put them in full pads because that's what they plan. So why not test them in that? Like last time I checked uh, a, a guy's, um, you know, hair, hairspray can hasn't fallen out of his pants in a game. So <laughs> um, maybe we should think about doing that, but this is one of the best stories I've heard. So last year I'm at the combine and we're doing interviews and I'm working radio at this point, but I, we have Sony Michelle, the running back out of Georgia come up and it obviously ended up being a first round pick to the New England Patriots, which is kind of funny because like the Patriots, they pride themselves in having smart players, uh, players of good character, all this kind of stuff. And Sony Michelle's a great guy. Um, but I, but I haven't asked him, I said, Hey, uh, who are you rooming with at the combine? Right. Cause everyone who goes to the combine gets a roommate. Right. And this is probably after he's been there two or three days. And he says to me, I don't know. And I said, what do you mean you don't know who your roommate is? He goes, uh, I, he's been asleep every time I've come in the room. And then I guess I've been asleep every time he's been awake. And we've kind of just missed each other, been in and out. And I'm like, so you, tell me this much. You've been in the same room with this guy now. This is your third day. And you're sleeping like five feet across from one another. And at no point have you ever like crossed paths and been like, Hey, I'm Sonny Michelle. Hey, um, you know, I'm so-and-so he's like, yeah, I guess not, man. And so to this day, I even asked him at the Super Bowl this year, if he ever found out who his roommate was in the combine, he did not. But he's he literally wait, what? five feet away from a stranger during the course of the combine last season. Wait, what? That is what? that story needs to be told. Like outside, I mean, it's being told right now, but it, it, that's insane. How would you it's, – It's absurd. I mean, sometimes I tell my wife I don't know you anymore and I feel like I'm sleeping <laughs> next to a stranger. But legitimately, Sonia Michelle was sleeping in a queen-sized bed across from a stranger for five days or four days, whatever it is. And and it, I just don't know if it gets any funnier than that. Like that, to, to this day, still tickles me. I, I, I just don't – I mean, at some point I would I would I would – if it were me personally – I would need to wait until that person woke up and moved and be like, Hey, um, I'm Sony. Nice to meet you. Just wanted to, you know, we're sharing this space for five days. I thought maybe we'd introduce ourselves. That's bananas. Um, I would say, uh, that one of the weirder, not weirder stories, but this was, um, this was one of my first combines. Uh, Janoris Jenkins was coming through the Jackrabbit and, um, Hmm, interesting name. Uh, he has several different children and somebody actually asked him if he knew the names of all of his children. And it was a pre 
not pre-Twitter, but but kind of pre-Twitter moment where you know there, there wasn't there weren't 600 people filming with video at the combine, and um, he actually you know answered and said he like reeled off the names of all of his kids, and it was just a very uh, it was just a very bizarre moment where you sort of get a and you know this is like an open media thing where you know you you've got a sense that yeah these questions are going to be asked of uh every single prospect that comes to the combine and it's 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 pretty striking and this wasn't like a this wasn't like a team right. asking him a question this is a this is media members being like why do you think you deserve a second chance do you know the name of your kids like i, I don't have the way those to ask i i i called my son charlie the other day that's my brother's name i mean it's not my son's name i i don't have the way those to ask some some 19 or some 21 year old kid if he knows the names of his five kids well he knew the, all their names though right yeah he did one was uh, Janoris junior and I, uh, that makes it easy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm going to keep your name after yourself to make it easy. He's like, uh, it's, it's better than, isn't <laughs> better than Antonio Cromartie? I mean, he had a hard time naming all his kids, right? Uh, no, 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 no. You would much rather know the kids than not know the kids. And you almost yeah. wonder if the Cromartie thing didn't make him, you know, think, all right, I need to, I need to know what these kids' names are. <laughs> um, um, what's, yeah. what was the weird, did you get asked any weird stuff at the combine? Have I asked you this before? Um, I think you have, and my response was no. No one really asked me anything weird. Um, had an intense moment with Gary Kubiak. At this time, he was the head coach of the Houston Texans, and he kind of leaned across, and he just looked at me with this dead stare and said, are you ready to come in and be the franchise quarterback of an NFL organization? And I was like, yes, sir, I am. Uh, I kind of said it very calmly and plainly. He's like, you're going to be able to look a guy in the eyes who's got four kids and a family to feed and be able to bark out that play call. And I was like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then, so we kind of went on like this for a while and I was just like, all right, this guy seems like way too serious for me right now. <laughs> like, I'm not sure if this is a bit or if he just feels that much pressure, right? Um, like he feels that much pressure is on him right now in Houston where he's got to make a decision. Uh, at the quarterback's uh, slot and what's going to help out with his job security long-term. Uh, so that was kind of interesting. Uh, I, I remember sitting in a room with Jason Garrett, who was at the time an offensive coordinator of the Cowboys. And, and we literally, he would just, on a dry race board, this is for like 20 minutes, he would just draw up a play, explain it to me in their verbiage, erase it, say explain it back, and then it, draw it up, explain it back, and then he would just test nowhere to go. And we just kept passing back the dry erase marker and the board back and forth for 20 minutes. The horn blew. I went to my next meeting, shook his hand, didn't talk to him after that. <laughs> so I, I remember leaving there thinking, like, I don't know if that was a good or a bad thing or if he was just <laughs> bored or what exactly we were doing. What if, um, what if, what if Jason Garrett was – what if you secretly designed the Cowboys' entire offense for the next decade? Like that's what Jason Garrett was uh, doing. He was getting you to write up plays so that way he could he could use them in, in his offense in the future. Yeah, no, I, I definitely don't think that was going on. Uh, but okay, so kind of weird story. So I, the one of the reasons why I was curious who Sonny Michelle's roommate was at the combine was because uh, my roommate ended up being my my college running back Darius Walker. So yeah. I remember getting to Indy and kind of being like, man, it's gonna stink because I didn't live with someone since my freshman year in college. Uh, as far as like having to live in the same room with them. Um, I, I had a roommate, but we had a house my senior year when I moved off campus. But I remember thinking, like, this is going to be kind of weird, right? Like, I hope it's someone who's cool or whatever, and they're, and they're not going to snore so I can actually like, get some rest. So Darius Walker, he would end up being my roommate. I was like, oh, perfect. Like, I know D-Walk, great dude, and whatever. So I remember at, like, 3.30 a.m., 
4 a.m., 5 a.m., our phone in our, in our hotel rooms kept ringing. What? And I was like, what? I, yeah, I was like, what is this? Is someone, like, crank calling us and messing with us? And literally, we pick up, no one would be on the other end. We pick up at 4, no one would be on the other end. 4.30, no one would be on the other end. And, and so my best guess now, looking back on it, is this. So for anyone who's been to the Combine, uh, yeah, the coaches, the general managers, like scouts and all that, they get after it. Like, it's, it's a little bit of a party there in Indianapolis. Uh, yeah. And so my best guess is that they all went to Steak and Shake after going out to Prime 47, having a few, you know, tipping a few back, and then just started prank calling different prospects and just hanging up on them and probably getting a kick out of it. That uh, is... That's my best guess. Because <laughs> other, otherwise, I have no idea why they kept calling us. And it happened like two separate nights, and it just didn't make any sense. What if it was like other? What if it was like Jeff Samarja, knowing that? He, what if he was? What if he was calling you? Was he playing baseball at that point? Had he decided? Or was he at the? Was he? A, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He he already decided. He was in spring training at that point in time uh, with the Cubs organization. Might have been Jeff Samarja then. Could have been. Yeah, it could have been. Although it would have been weird because he would have had to have like called the front desk, and it would have been weird that they would have then knowing that we're there for the combine. Directed them to our room at three thirty, four o'clock, four thirty, five o'clock in the morning. That true, weird, but also hilarious. You know that what we did to Ryan Wilson on this podcast when he was down in Fort Lauderdale, we called, uh, we found out where hotel he was at, called the hotel at midnight on Sunday to, to, cause the Steelers had just lost or like had just tied the Browns or something like that. And we got Ryan's room number and called us like, Oh, hello, this is Ben Roethlisberger. And he started swearing up a storm, not knowing that we were recording live on the podcast. And prank calls for those of us that grew up in the, in the, in the, in the, in the era of, of the jerky boys, prank calls are pretty fun. Uh, and to your point about the partying, Brady, it is, it is like the, this is why I, I, I like the combine, um, more than the Super Bowl, even though the Super Bowl is grander and has, you know, the bigger parties and all that. But the combine is like nitty gritty, like you're hanging out, um, with, you're in this, you're, you'll go to this, it's now called Prime 47. It used to be called Moe's. You'll go to this bar and you're just hanging out with the entire NFL universe in, in like 200 square feet. It's crazy. I mean, you were, you were, you were like, I almost had, uh, I like, I don't know. You, you, you won't even, you won't even realize it. And you and I, we saw like, um, very, I don't want to name names. I feel like that's inappropriate. Is it inappropriate to name names? Who you saw? Yeah, no, I, I think it's inappropriate. Like I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go about outing people who are there and what they're doing, but you see everyone there. That's the point. You see yeah. everyone there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, it, but it's just, it's just wild if you, I mean, like, I guess you grew up, I mean, you, you know, you went to the combine and you, you know, were an NFL player, but if you ever, if you ever took somebody who wasn't around the NFL their whole life, and then plop them in there. They would lose their minds at the combine because they would be they'd be like, "What? Like so and so coach?" I, I, the, I mean, just I think the thing that blew my mind was for the players. It's like for some a pretty big moment. I mean, legitimately, if they run a good forty or not, it can make or break you know what happens for them. Like for example, Nikhil Harry. He's a wide receiver at Arizona State. Um, he he could be one of the top wide receivers taken. There's a lot of concerns about his speed though, and if he can separate. And if he could run like a four four nine for his size, getting like six foot three, two hundred fifteen pounds, it will go a long way in where he gets drafted. I believe this year's draft because he pretty much does everything else well as far as high point in the football, blocking, even getting yards after the catch. He's a, he's a tough physical runner. Has had a lot of production in his career since his freshman year, true freshman year at his Arizona State. So you know, like it's a huge moment for them. And on the flip side, you've got guys like meandering into steak and shake at 3 and 4 a.m. 
to go get like a hamburger, fries, and a milkshake to tie <laughs> them over for like their interviews and then evaluating these kids, uh, you know, and then all their drills and everything else that goes on. So no, it's just kind of funny how, you know, the, the the contrast between the two. Well, no, that's a good point too. Like, I, I don't think you, th- I don't think that we, I don't, I know, I don't always think about this, um, you know, just dealing with life in general. But you know, I, I'm not, I don't know about you, I'm not as good at stuff when I'm hungover as when I'm not hungover. Like, if I get a good night of sleep, um, you know, I'm a better, better uh, writer, I'm a better podcaster, I'm a better video guy, I'm a better father, I'm a better husband, I mean, I'm better everything. But if you're, you know, when I'm hungover, I'm a pretty crappy, all of this. Well, not, I'm a good, good worker, but I'm not a good, good parent, a good husband. Um, and, uh, well, it's fine, don't worry about it, I don't, I don't mind it. Um, and the, uh, <laughs> I, I get worse. But at any rate, like, <laughs> like, how good a job do you think some of these guys are doing evaluating coming off a, a massive hangover that involves being out till steak and shake <laughs> at 3 a.m.? Like, are you, you know, like, you see them like sitting in the stands and like staring down the prospects and I get that they're used to the grind, but I mean, at some point that has to wear on you. Well, yeah, but I, I think the one thing you convince yourself of is this. <clears throat> you don't allow the combine to really push you one way or another mm. on a player. It's more of an activity of gathering information. So the original intent was there to, you know, it was created to have medical information on all these players, right? So you knew what kind of financial obligation you're getting yourself into. Then it became something where they started to do the interview process so they could get to know the players, the type of character, their football IQ, all that, uh, which then also transitioned to the on the field testing and then, and the drills, which was kind of really last. So, you know, because of how it all came about, you know, the testing is something that you're not really actively involved in. The numbers are the numbers. You're going to see that. The interviews, you know, you're involved with. You're kind of sitting back listening. It just kind of depends which guy's really doing the interview with the player. Um, and, and that usually happens like at night. By that point in the day, like, if, if you were hurt in the morning or afternoon, you should be good by that night. Yeah, if you're, um, yeah, if you're still, if you're, stuff. yeah, if you're still hurting, if you're still hurting that evening, uh, you've got, you've got bigger problems to deal with than not interviewing. What about like, yeah. what about this specific combine? Who stands out to you as somebody who can really, um, make or break, you know, there's like Kyler Murray's, I mean, this is kind of, I mean, I don't think he's a make or break guy with the combine. I do think it's interesting that at this time last year, Baker Mayfield was not considered the top overall pick. He was not, um, you know, not even there's a debate. It's like, oh, he's probably a first rounder, but I don't know if he's going to be top 10. And, and then he went to the combine and he was excellent. I mean, he threw the ball really well. Uh, you know, he, he moved all over the place, showed great motion. So, and I think Kyler Murray with his athleticism, he's built for the, built for the combine. Like he can light up the combine with his accuracy. And if he, if he even throws, does he need to throw? I mean, what do you, what do you think about him going in? Yeah, so a lot there. I mean, for starters, yeah, that, think, that was not a that was not a question. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, anyone who thought Baker Mayfield wasn't, you know, the best quarterback in that draft, at least based on things you watched on film, uh, they, they must have had a bad opinion. And that it's the same thing I'll say about Kyler Murray. He's a guy that walking into this, I don't care where other people haven't projected. I'm just telling you, you're not going to find film that's going to be more tantalizing and, and say, oh, there's there's someone better than Kyler Murray last year at quarterback position. Right. So it's the same thing now. I don't know if he'll throw or not. I don't know that he really needs to. Um, I do think it, it would help him uh, distance himself, at least in, in the testing and all that. As far as throwing goes, like, I think there's some other guys who uh, could give him a little run for his money. I mean, and I think the thing that I came away from last year from watching the combine is when you put all these guys that shoot each other throwing, 
and you start to get a sense for like Josh Allen's arm strength, for example. You were like, oh my god, yeah. that dude has a cannon. And like it's because and, and the thing is, it's not like Baker Mayfield doesn't have a strong arm. Uh, he's got plenty of arm. But then you see him next to Josh Allen, you're like, good Josh. Like that's a whole nother level, right? And so you start to see those sorts of things uh, with each quarterback. So like this year's class between Murray and Haskins and Drew Locke and Will Greer and Daniel Jones, and, and those are really, the, the I would say, the top five. Maybe Ryan Finley gets thrown there too, so that's six. Um, you know, those are the guys that really you're looking at and saying, all right, how do these guys all stack up next to each other? And you get to see them in a T-shirt and shorts throwing. Now that's nothing close to playing quarterback, but it does give you at least a baseline of comparison with them all. And, and that's where I feel like, Kyler Murray, you know, would, would stack up well with those guys. I just don't know how much he's had a chance to really prepare um, for the combine because he's been mulling over this decision, and and I'm sure he's been trying to put on weight, and and so he gets to that. I think he's at like two or three now. He probably wants to get to two o five, two o six, and then people probably aren't going to be as concerned about his size. His height is what it is. You can't change that much. If he gets to five ten, God bless him, um, and, and maybe that would help him out a little bit as far as how people look at him. But bottom line is, I, I don't know if he will throw. I don't know that he needs to. It's not going to change my opinion on this kid. He's the most talented in the draft at quarterback. Will he go be the first overall taken? Maybe. I would think Dwayne Haskins is maybe a little bit better prospect, only because it's just it's so rare that you have someone who's sub-six foot um, and, and they only played for one year. He doesn't have a ton of starting experience. There's always the, the back in the back of my mind, the thought of baseball, like how committed is he always going to be and all that. Um, and so I think Kyler Murray has to be in the right situation, situation and circumstance more so than maybe a Dwayne Haskins, who I think has a ton of abilities, your prototypical size. I'm not as concerned about that. Now only started the year as well, but had a phenomenal year and was sitting in New York with Kyler Murray. And you probably could have made the case. He could have won the Heisman too. So um, it's, it, I think both those, those guys are like the top two prospects. And then I'll be curious to see how a guy like Daniel Jones and Drew Locke kind of start to fit in behind those two. Mm, interesting. Uh, yeah, and look, I mean, we I've been doing mocks for like three weeks, or actually probably more like two months now. Um, and it, it does feel I, – I think because I started them earlier, I have a little bit more like uh, at least like basic knowledge of those guys. But if, if anybody tried to tell you that they have a – outside of like guys who do you know full-time draft coverage, if they try to tell you they have a – full deep dive into every prospect they're they're lying to you um and, and so this is when you sort of start to see guys separate a little bit and there's this sprint to try and figure everything out about these prospects that's what makes the, the whole thing so fascinating to me is that i don't no, go ahead i i don't know that they separate so much i just think you have different opinions on them right, right so right. some people like the giants might be really bothered with Kyler murray's hype and so they're just like look we're not going to do it we don't want to get a guy who's that short we don't believe it's going to work right um, some people might look at him not feel be afraid at all. Arizona Cardinals, right? And they may be like, "Hey, we love this kid enough to trade Josh Rosen and make it work, right?" Someone may or may not have put that in their mock draft notes recently. Maybe Will Brinson. Um, <laughs> but there's so so there's there's like those concerns that are out there, right? And then there's like a Daniel Jones who some people will you know they love David Cutcliffe, the head coach at Duke, and they'll like we love guys who are trained by David Cutcliffe. The Manning brothers used to go with them, work with them all the time. Payton was coached by him, um, and so they'll say that's a huge plus for us. And we look at him, and he's fundamentally sound. He's got the prototypical height we're looking for. He's got a lot of starts. Started three years, so I think he's got like 36 starts or something like that. And they might say we want experience. We want a guy who's fundamentally sound. We want a guy who 
um, runs with an NFL style, style system, so it's an easier transition. And so some guys might be high on Daniel Jones, and some might not, right? Um, so there's all those different, you know, thoughts to this quarterback class and how it could potentially impact them uh, as far as whether they're first round picks or not. And that's where I feel like you start seeing guys move around a little bit. Because with, with some teams, they'll tell, you know, the Will Brinsons or, you know, Pete Priscus, whoever in the world, hey, this is like a consensus. Everyone thinks this guy is going to be a, a top quarterback, right? right? And there's some teams who won't tell you how they feel about a guy because they have him higher than others, or maybe they don't want to say a bad thing about the player if that ever gets out. So um, it, it's always hard this time of year to really get a sense for how teams truly feel about players. It's, uh, it's the lying season, Brady. But you know what? It's not a lie. Can't wait to see you next week at the Combine, buddy. Do you like that little... Ah, that little... it's going to be so much fun. Yeah. I, I love that. I can't wait. Yeah. Can't wait to see the whole crew. We'll get the band back together. It'll be a fun time. I know. It's been too long. It's been like uh, 18 days. I'm sure... Does your wife get mad? That you, but you travel You travel so much. Does she mind when you travel post-football season? My wife hates it. And I don't oh, even travel that much. She hates it. Yeah. My, my, my wife's like, your season's over with. Where are you going? Yeah. Indianapolis? Why? Yeah, and she's like mad about it, and I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. Don't don't be mad at me. Just I don't know. I was like, I was just taking another trip somewhere. Actually, this is not funny, but kind of funny. So we went to a charity event this past week, and you know they do a live auction, um, and then they'll do like trips. Yeah, and so there's this trip for Cabo that came up. Now, this place this is a foundation that I'm on the board of, and I'm, I'm intricately involved in. Um, and, and some of the um, you know different projects we have going on, but this trip we actually already bid it on and won in a previous charity event. But the <laughs> problem was is at the time my wife was pregnant, we were worried about Zika and that whole scare and all this stuff. And there was no guarantee from this place in Cabo that they didn't have Zika, so we we're like, let's not risk it. So it ended up turning into a guy's trip. Ooh. So my wife, now not pregnant at this charity event, she has maybe a few too many glasses of wine <laughs> and I'm talking to someone on the side with this live auctions going on. My wife had her eyes dead set on this, on this uh, trip to Cabo. And so she starts bidding and she didn't really stop bidding until she won. Uh-huh. And I, I, I was obviously a little bit surprised by what we ended up buying this trip for. <laughs> uh, but again, it all goes back to the fact that CBS uh, has me going to the, the combine uh, after the football season. And I think it's payback. So. No, no, no. I, I am, I am in the process of. I am currently booking a trip to Disney World because I am going to the combine, and it's, and it, it's like, <laughs> and like with each passing, uh, with each day that gets tacked onto our CBS schedule at the combine, an additional like, uh, five hundred dollar park pass gets tacked onto the the Disney cost, and that's just, uh, it's the cost of doing business. You know what I mean? Uh, right. So. Yep. So uh, let's let's go back and uh, see our family. In fact, there's been a dog sitting here. I don't know if you can hear him. He's been sitting here for like 15 minutes, glaring at me, threatening to chew up my cords, and uh, and and snarling at me. And I have to go do Bill Ryder's show. Uh, and you probably have to go like live your life and stuff. So let's get out of here. I'll see you in Indy. It's always fun to talk with you. And we will uh, hang out next week. Everybody, follow Brady at three rd underscore goal on Twitter, and make sure to uh, watch him on CBS Sports HQ and watch us live at the Combine all next week. Wednesday through Sunday on CBS Sports HQ, cbsports.com slash live. Thanks, Brady. Always fun.